The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. The Trump administration does a complete 180, reversing the Justice Department's position on voting rights. Under President Obama, the Justice Department led high-profile challenges against strict voter ID laws in states, including the toughest in the nation, the Texas voter ID law. The Justice Department under Attorney General Jeff Sessions told a federal judge yesterday that it was withdrawing a key claim in that lawsuit. During his confirmation hearings, Sessions was questioned sharply over his past record of opposing voting rights measures. I deeply understand the history of civil rights in our country and the horrendous impact that relentless and systemic discrimination and the denial of voting rights has had on our African-American brothers and sisters. A fellow senator, Cory Booker of New Jersey, even testified against Sessions. He will be expected to defend voting rights, but his record indicates that he won't. This is the second time in a week the Trump administration reversed course in the Justice Department's stance in a major civil rights case. Our guests are Rick Hassan, a professor at the University of California Irvine School of Law and founder of the Election Law blog, and Richard Brafold, professor at Columbia University Law School. Rick, did this reversal by the Justice Department and withdrawal of the claim that Texas enacted this law with discriminatory intent surprise you? It didn't surprise me. I think that we know that both um, Jeff Sessions and Donald Trump have different views on voting rights and the potential for voter fraud than Barack Obama and Loretta Lynch did. This was actually just a first step. It was just the Department of Justice withdrawing from one little piece of the uh, case. Uh, and there's still more to come. And I expect that we're going to see more reversals, not only in this case, but in other cases like it going forward. Richard Brafalt, what's the the significance of the uh, the discriminatory discriminatory intent part of this case? There's still the discriminatory effect part of this case that the Justice Department is still involved in. Sure, um, it may go more towards remedies. Uh, one consequence of uh, finding a discriminatory intent is that uh, a court could throw the entire statute, the entire Texas law that imposed various new requirements in order to vote, as opposed to just knocking out the particular piece that was determined to have a discriminatory effect. If you see discriminatory intent, the entire statute is tainted. The other possibility is there is a provision of the Voting Rights Act. Uh, as we all know, the, the so-called uh, the uh, covered jurisdiction provision that required preclearance of voting law changes in certain states, which included Texas, that was knocked out, effectively knocked out by the Supreme Court in 2013. But there's still a provision in the law that provides as a remedy if jurisdictions are found to have committed serious voting rights violation. There's a provision in the law that allows what some people call the bail-in, of placing that particular jurisdiction in a situation where it, has to, it will have to seek preclearance of its voting law changes for a period of time, subject to the approval of a court. So the real issues are remedy. Uh, you could not get more of the statute, and also whether it might have been possible to bail in Texas to require preclearance of Texas voting changes going forward. Rick, 
What effect does it have on the case that the Justice Department has pulled out of that provision? The other plaintiffs in the case are still going forward. Well, that's right. So it doesn't scuttle the claim. The judge is hearing the claim today and will issue a ruling, which will probably be appealed. And so uh, what does it matter that DOJ has done this? Well, it matters in a few ways. First, I think it's a symbolic thing that shows that uh, the Department of Justice is going to be standing with those states that are making it harder to register and vote rather than standing with the plaintiffs who have been suing uh, in those states. Second, if DOJ drops this one claim but remains in the case, I think that gives DOJ a chance to try to influence things to help Texas, even though it's still uh, nominally on the other side. So, for example, one issue that the trial court is going to have to face later on is, uh, assuming there's a discriminatory effect found and not a discriminatory intent, what should the remedy be, the permanent remedy be? How do you soften this law and keep it on the books? And you can imagine the Department of Justice offering support for what Texas would like to do, which is probably much less than what plaintiffs want to do. And finally, I think that uh, courts, especially if this makes it to the Supreme Court, tend to listen to the position of the U.S. government and the Department of Justice. It can have influence, and so it could actually affect how this case ultimately gets resolved. What is the position that the United States government takes on these very contentious kinds of issues? Apparently, Rick, the Texas legislature did introduce a new voter ID bill. Does that solve any of the problems of the former bill? Well, uh, this was one of the reasons that the Department of Justice first tried to delay uh, the hearing that's being held today on discriminatory intent and also said it was pulling out of the whole discriminatory intent claim uh, to give the state a chance to fix the problems. Now, it's not clear how passing a new law would fix any problem with past discriminatory intent, but it could fix the problem with discriminatory effect. That is, if all the court ends up saying is that the law had a racially discriminatory impact on protected minority voters, then in terms of the remedy, the Fifth Circuit said, well, maybe you should listen to what the state thinks is the best way to remedy things. So it could have relevance going forward. It's not clear if anything's actually going to happen in the Texas legislature. I think a lot's going to depend on what happens on the discriminatory intent. But it's kind of a lot of different moving parts. There is supposed to be some deference to how the uh, state legislature wants to fix these kinds of problems. Richard, uh, talk to us about uh, why the plaintiffs were alleging there was a discriminatory uh, intent in this case. Was there especially strong evidence that Texas was doing this for a racially discriminatory purpose? Um, and how does that compare to you know other states around the country where we have uh, voter ID lawsuits? Well, one of the evidence is that when the kinds of ID that the state would allow as, as legitimate ID to be brought into the voting when you want to vote, there was evidence that so the ID was uh, the kinds of evidence that white voters were more likely to have, like uh, hunting licenses, would be counted uh, IDs like university IDs, college IDs, which might have been more commonly used by minority voters, were not counted. So there's a number of incident, uh, aspects of the law in terms of what, what can, both the impact, but aspects of it that seem to be that were arguably designed to have an impact. And whenever discriminatory impact is easier to prove than discriminatory intent, but they are related. And if the uh, if aspects of the law seem like they were fine-tuned to reach a certain result, it will often be presumed that they were. Uh, and that, I think, was part of the argument. The, the intent 
sort of helps back up the effect. The intent also brings to bear just the issues like the timing, the way in which the law was pushed through, uh, why it was adopted when it was, uh, the statements by some of uh, some of the supporters after the fact statements, and to be to be fair, uh, and other and other aspects surrounding the adoption. There's rarely rarely pure smoking gun evidence of intent, but often the some of the evidence that supports effect will also support intent. In terms of why it's important to make it, it does make it a stronger, a more dramatic case. And also, I think it does, it could potentially lead to a stronger remedy. Uh, a similar case was the one that was, that was brought in North Carolina. And there you actually had the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals, the court that sits, federal court that has jurisdiction over North Carolina, actually saying that the way in which that state's law was designed seemed, I think they used to surgically precise, so they, uh, to, to focus on minority voters. And I think that the, the court here didn't use that language, the district court, but there were some aspects that suggest a similarity. Rick, let's look forward. The Trump's administration's change in strategy that we see coming, could that empower other conservative-controlled states to follow Texas's lead and tighten their voter ID laws? Could it lead to changes in voting rights decisions ahead? Well, I think that uh, this is the first step towards that. I think knowing that there won't be a Department of Justice that's going to come in and sue will be um, – you give some leeway to some of these states, but there'll still be private plaintiffs who are going to sue. I think ultimately it's going to come down to how the courts treat these questions. And so this Texas case actually went up to the Supreme Court, and I think it was maybe about a month ago, the Supreme Court declined to hear the case, and Chief Justice Roberts, uh, in an unusual move, uh, issued a statement saying, uh, we're not hearing this now, but that's because this case is still in process, and we might hear it later. And so I think ultimately it's going to be whether the uh, lower courts and probably the Supreme Court gives the green light. If what Texas and North Carolina did uh, are found by the Supreme Court to be just fine, then I think we'll see lots of other states with Republican legislatures passing similar legislation. Richard, we only have about 30 seconds, but Rick uh, wrote uh, the other day that he, he thinks the Justice Department ultimately will end up on the other side of these cases. Do you agree with that? It's hard to know, but it's certainly a, a very plausible speculation. The Justice Department did not withdraw from the case. It just said it was withdrawing support for a particular claim. They're still in the case, and I think, as Rick may have suggested earlier, when this case reaches its remedial phase, they may come in on the side of Texas in terms of saying uh, what the Texas legislature has done, if they do anything, is adequate. And in that case, they would not only be not supporting the plaintiffs, but they would be coming adverse. So it's hard to tell right now, but it wouldn't be a big surprise. Thank you both for being on Bloomberg Law. That's Professor Richard Brafault of Columbia University Law School and Professor Rick Hassan of the University of California, Irvine School of Law. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.